You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. And welcome back to Stage Door Podcast. Today we are bringing you part two of our Phantom of the Opera deep dive. But before we get into that, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land on which we work, live and record, and recognize their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. All right, Tori, take it away with the bulletin. This past week, the full cast of the Brisbane premiere of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was announced. Leading the cast are Stephen Anderson, Robert Grubb, Lucy Maunder, just to name a few. The show will be running at QPAC from the 2nd to the 26th of September 2021. For ticket details, head to the website at www.qpac.com.au. The sold-out season of Alice's Adventures the Musical has officially been rescheduled for the 7th and 8th of August this year. Tickets are on sale now and selling fast with opening night already sold out. So if you missed out the first time, don't make the same mistake. Hop over to Alice's Adventures underscore the musical on Instagram for all the ticket details. In this latest deep dive, we briefly spoke on Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella and how keen we are to give the cast album a listen when it finally comes out. And well, as of tomorrow, the wait is over. The full cast album will officially be released Friday the 9th of July. If you can't wait, there are already a few songs available to listen, which we are absolutely loving. Let us know what you think. In the final piece of news for this week, Sydney has almost completed its second week of lockdown and is heading into its third. We know many people are not coping well and feeling hopeless in these times. These feelings are valid and are hard to fight, but please remember that you are not alone. We're here for you, and as is the entire community. If you ever need to talk, not only are we here, but there are also amazing organisations like Beyond Blue, Lifeline and Headspace who are available to assist you in whatever way necessary. Everyone, please stay healthy and safe. Keep doing your part. We love and support you. Back over to you, Eliza. Today, we will be talking about all things Phantom of the Opera again with the lovely Garrick, uh, Gareth <laughs> Isaac. Oh <laughs> my God. Garrick Isaac. I'm really having a day. My name is in the title of the thing. We've known each other for years. This is hurtful. Garrick. Garrick Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Gareth. I apologize so much. I'm having a day today. You know what? Keep it in. Keep it in. This is the introduction. All right, let's go. Hi, I'm Gareth Isaac. I'm going to talk about the opera of the Phantom. It's a musical about a building, and the guy just happens to show up. And he's quite ugly. Oh, he's pretty rough. Oh, that's controversial. <laughs> Anyway, Gareth, take it away with the introduction to the show. Thank you so much. Welcome to this delightful deep dive. The first two-parter deep dive to have ever occurred on Stage Door Podcast. Before we get started, a brief recap for those who don't know the Phantom of the Opera storyline or who didn't listen to the last episode. Go back and listen to it. It'll help you skip a bit. The Phantom of the Opera with music by Andrew Lloyd Webber, lyrics by Charles Hart, libretto by Lloyd Webber and Richard Stilgo is based on the 1910 horror novel by Gaston Larue. The Phantom of the Opera is a romantic, thrilling story of the legendary Phantom, a musical genius who dwells deep beneath the opera populaire in Paris. The Phantom is shunned by society 
society for his horrific facial deformity. He takes a promising young soprano, Christine Daae, under his wing and grooms her for operatic fame, all while falling deeply, madly, obsessively in love with her. As Christine grows ever more successful and a handsome young man from her past begins to successfully court her, the phantom descends into a jealous rage and terrorises the opera company with increasingly dangerous threats. Now, we did last time take a look into um, some of the plot, but not all of it. And we didn't quite get that far when we had a little chat last time. And we also did have a little look at The Love Never Dies, which is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, which we will be looking at today. But first of all, we're going to actually take a look into the plot of Phantom and have a bit more of an in-depth discussion about that said plot. Yes, yes, yes. Now, I think we can start it off today with the beginning of the show, which definitely starts out quite spectacularly, where we get the auction um, uh, yes, the... of the phantom auction. And then we see the chandelier. And who doesn't love the chandelier? Yes, it's this. delightful. <laughs> Is it bad to say that that's my favorite part of the show? <laughs> <It's> the chandelier. <laughs> the inanimate object. It's yep. like it is it's like the thing though, you know? It's like what I remember. I think Phantom was the first like proper show that I saw in a theater and I just remember like it coming up and it falling down like that that was like the key memory I have. Um, it's such an iconic moment. Oh, definitely. Like I remember seeing it on Broadway and I had tears in my eyes when the bloody chandelier is going up because I'm a big sook. Who doesn't love a set piece? I cry in every Every overture um, of a show, I cry at. Every, like, no matter what it is, because the overture is always, like, in my opinion, like, it it swells so much more, because obviously, depending on the show, you tend to have, like, a mix of the songs throughout the show, or for Phantom yeah. of the Opera, it is Phantom of the Opera that plays. Hmm. Um, and it will, it kind of, it's it cycles through quite a few of the diff- different songs. But, like, it's always, like, such a... <laughs> swollen <laughs> no it massive. swells massive spectacular yeah, massive. but it it is it is always like this like over the top extravagant version of the songs that you hear throughout the show because it's it's like it's louder it's it feels like obviously it's the same amount of people in the orchestra but it feels like 10 more people have come in and are playing along as well so i feel like i cry at every every um opening yeah well the opening of prologue yeah the the prologue of the phantom is is now iconic because it is set so far after the fact you see raul christine's love interest stuck in a wheelchair and you see once that overture starts the chandelier raising the opera itself transforms again credit to bjornson and Mm -hmm. her set design the rags and uh, sheets are falling off all the set pieces as they themselves rise back to what they once were. So the story is being mm. set before your eyes. Uh, fun little fact about the music Which... in this section. Uh, that little synth patch, I may have mentioned this last time, the synth yeah. keyboard, the... Uh, is all pre-recorded because that patch no longer exists on conventional synthesizers. So, fun little note. I just love the opulence that it brings and i'm not going to talk about this much because i think i ranted on about it last time did of... did you i hadn't noticed 
afterwards. <laughs> no, because again, somebody, say, that same person that I was talking about last time brought it up again of, and specifically said Phantom of the Opera. What would happen if they did it like really dark and dingy? I was like, it would look like the prologue, the whole show. And I couldn't give two shits if it looked like that. Correct. Like, it's not just about the set, but like, you know, when all of those, when all of the set pieces and the lights start to rise and you see this opera house in, in Paris and you're just completely taken back and you're completely in the moment. Um, it's like one of, one of the most, I wouldn't say the most, but one of the most beautiful openings, hmm. I think, in theatre. And following this little opening, we're rapidly introduced to all the major players in the piece. We see the two new managers, André and Fermin. We see Meg Giry and her mother, Madame Giry, the opera's rehearsal mistress for the corps du ballet. We see Monsieur Rayer, the repetiteur. We see Carlotta, the opera's leading soprano for three seasons. Oh, Carlotta. And then, I think you have thoughts on Carlotta. Oh, I mean, I just think she's a a bitch, but I love her. (laughs) Delightful. Like she's a bitch, but she's an amazing character. Like as, you couldn't have that show without her. Ah, uh, yeah, she's a diva. She is the prima donna. She is the first lady of the stage. Yeah. She's entitled to this. Yeah, you have to have a diva character. And yeah. I mean, as diva characters get, my favorite bit, obviously, like at the start of the show, they're doing mm. the aria and she's performing the aria, yeah. and yeah. then all of a sudden something drops on stage, and then they're all like. She goes into her diva moment. I'm not going to perform. Goodbye. See you later. And off she trots. Yep. And then Christine's like, "Oh my god, I can, I can possibly sing." Oh no, it, it's not. It's not even Christine that does it. <laughs> They're in leading to one of my main gripes with the Christine character. It's her best friend who just steps forward and says, "Hey, this this one can sing. She can do the role." Like Meg Giri yeah. steps yeah. forward, like the little shit stirrer that she is, and says, "My best friend can and sing." Would we say that in Love Never Dies? Meg is the diva? Uh, yes. Ooh. I believe so. Not yeah. to the same extent. Not to this, not not on the same level as Carlotta. Carlotta is like, makes something yeah. out of nothing, you know? Whereas Meg has like this mix of like, and we'll kind of get to it when we get to it. But like, I also feel like she's got something, there is something quite wrong about her. In oh Love God, Never yeah. Dies. Like she's um, the second choice. Always has been, and I believe yeah. that that plays mm. over. But uh, we'll, we we will get to that. We will yeah, get to that. She wouldn't have been if she hadn't. If she, why didn't Meg volunteer herself? That leads to a very good, very Ooh. good question. Very good question. It it might not have ended very well, and Carlotta might have continued on performing, but Meg volunteered Christine because one of the questions that um I, I'm not sure who put it in the document, but about is Christine a strong female character? I don't I wouldn't necessarily say that she's not, but she has spent her mm. entire life being told what to do by other people. Her choices and her agency like ultimately don't matter and that goes on and on throughout the show. Like she's just and she doesn't really but she doesn't really try to like take back control of that. The only time that she really makes a choice is with the phantom. Exactly. The the choice to kiss him. You know, spoilers for 1986. Spoiler alert for a show that's been out for, like, is the longest running show on Broadway. Because it was Cats prior. Yeah. Well, that this is the interesting thing as well. Because, like, she doesn't really, like, make any strong choices. And then the ending, it's kind of like, 
is this the right choice for her? She might be making a choice, but is it the right choice? Is it really the strong choice that you would want for her? I think, question. I think the strong choice would have been to just flip the bird to both of them and be like, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm done with this shit show. Let me just go and do my dancing. Let me be. It's like, because I don't think she loves either of them, honestly. I think with the Phantom, again, thinks it's the angel of music, her father come back in spirit. And Raoul, it's just, I guess it's kind of almost like he forces it. Raoul's an old childhood friend that is giving her some merit of protection against this otherworldly threat that is killing things around her, but still teaching her all this stuff. Yeah. So uh, I don't think either of the rem- relationships are terribly healthy even from the first scene where we're introduced to the love triangle (laughs) Raoul comes in says hey remember me you're coming to supper phantom appears in the mirror no you're coming to my cave love and obviously there's an interesting (laughs) dynamic here that's where she should have that's where she should have turned around and gone guys i'm actually very very gay um (laughs) guys sorry i have a (laughs) guys sorry i've spoken (laughs) sorry we can we can go to dinner, but like just so you know, nothing's gonna happen. But it's also like a cave, a cave or dinner, a cave or dinner. I, I the platonic dinner. of the opera. It's like the possibility of love versus oh, I get to see my father's spirit reincarnated as the angel mm-hmm. of music. It's not even. I don't think. Like, whilst obviously the Phantom very clearly is, like, infatuated and in love with Christine, I don't know if there's any love element for her other than initially this thing of this could be my father come back as this angel of music. And then obviously the love, I say in air quotes, therefore that she has to portray to protect not only Raoul, but everybody else in the opera because it's kind of like it's not her fault in any way. But if she doesn't uh, show that affection back, (laughs) the Phantom's just going to keep killing people. And herein brings us to the next scene in the show, the next big scene after the Phantom of the Opera is here, blah, 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 etc, etc. Music of the Night. (laughs) It is the song Mm. in the show, the song for damn near every tenor who's ever come out of a musical theatre degree. And here's where I'm going to ruin it for you. It's about sex. Oh, no. oh well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Music of the Night is about the sex, and it's like this is coming to me from a friend of mine who did some cruise ship work with the Music of the Night uh, show with the really useful group at the head, which is Lloyd Webber's production company. They get one of the MDs from oh, the yeah. Phantom production in. They sit my friend down and say, All right, you're doing mm. Music of the Night. You see this? Da da. That's the in and out of intercourse. That is literally what it is. Oh yeah. no! 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 I cannot. Yeah, how do you think that? I feel? Oh, how do you no. think I feel? Oh no! That's stuck in my head now. That's that. Oh my god. Yep. Aside from the lyrical content as well, uh, to make the music of the night. What happens at night? What do you hear at night? I'm really sorry to have done that. Oh my god. At first I was like, oh okay. Like, you know, there are songs about like love making. And like there are songs about love making stuff that exists in the world that are really like lovely and it's like, you know, it's tenderness. That's just 
Too which is an important detail. point of the Phantom's <laughs> character. It's not love. It's not affection. It's obsession. It's lust. Oh, no. And it's, it's I obsession. want this thing. Yeah. I do think, and like on that note exactly. of love, I do think it's very much so like an obsession and infatuation. I do think towards the end of the show, there is a love for Christine that the Phantom feels enough to let her hmm. go. Which is still very much a power move. It's like, I'm letting yeah, it, you it, go. It's a learning but thing. But just you wait till the terrible <laughs> sequel and I'll be right back at you. Yep. Um, but it definitely feels like there's like a some kind of a true affection forming to kind of go, I have to let you go. Yeah, I, I think it's a learning experience, but unfortunately it took the better part of a year in the story and two and a half hours of our time for him to learn it. I feel like this kind of feeds into another point that we have, which is, is Christine too too young for the Phantom, but also uh, too young for the story? Because there does seem to be some misconception about Christine's Yes, age. this was a point I myself didn't know until I did a bit of reading. Originally, I thought that Christine was roughly 14 years old, and this is a common uh, thing throughout the story, that she's like 14 or 15 mm. Um, but it was mistranslated. The original French novel has a passage that states her heart is as pure as that of a 15-year-old, which ultimately someone misread and said, oh, God, she's 15. She's a teenager. Uh, she's actually 20 as of the novel and musical. But unfortunately, that naivete does come back into play and she's just sort of treated as a warm prop for a lot of the show. Things happen around her as the show progresses, people getting killed around her, she's getting put mm. into more positions of power throughout the Opera Populaire's season, overtaking Carlotta in one show. It's it's a lot. It is a lot. There's a lot of plot, actually, to this show. There's a lot of ins yeah, and Yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of plot, but on the bright side, there's enough mirroring in Act mm. 2 that you can just say, cool, remember that thing in Act 1? It happens again. <laughs> and redo. redo. I just had a thought, right? <laughs> Dangerous. Just to kind of occur to me, and I would like... <laughs> me? <laughs> God. That empty, come on. Who allowed that? Um, do you think that... And this like this is not necessarily uh, attributed anywhere. It was just a thought I just had about you saying that, you know, she's got this growing power throughout the show, in a sense. Like, if she wanted to, she could twist this all around and be like, yes, I want you to knock out everyone they could possibly get in my way like if she wanted to she could do you think that christine kind of wanted this to happen like she almost um what is it you know when like uh like not reverse psychology but that kind of idea Uh, a sub a subconscious want but also kind of did that to the phantom to get him infatuated with her to then do her bidding in a way that doesn't require her asking for it. I mean, it. I think it's a fun fan theory, but I think it doesn't hold a lot of no. weight. But I do like, I kind of like the fun th- fan theory. because, like, I, I, I like the idea, though. <laughs> yeah, because at the, at the start of the show, when obviously that first happens with Carlotta and stuff, could it have been like pre-show that she chatted to the Phantom about wanting the opportunity? <laughs> but this is going too far. <laughs> Uh, hey, hey, basement daddy, do you want to just mess with the leading lady for a bit so I yeah. get a chance? And yeah. Meg, oh, just going going basement to her best friend daddy. and saying, oh, I could sing Carlotta's bit, surely. And then just Yeah, leaving. she like puts it all in place. 
That's the new title for Phantom of the Opera. Basement Daddy. Basement Daddy. <laughs> um, I will get that on a sticker. Thank you. Um, oh. But I feel like, but I feel like she could so easily have taken advantage of that because, like, she could have so much power, but still, you know, blame it all on the Phantom. This person that nobody has actually necessarily really seen, and she's just the innocent, doe-eyed, twenty-year-old opera singer who has this magically fantastic mm. voice right so it's like it's like a reverse wicked then kind of yeah all right i'm okay with this i mean you, you know you never know you never know probably on the bowels know. of the internet in the phantom fandom someone has written a fan fiction based on oh, this yeah. oh no i don't want to know no- i want to know nothing about Basement Daddy fan fiction. Thank you. Um, I <laughs> there's the episode quote. I, Basement Daddy. That's the episode title. Basement oh, Daddy. Oh god. I would like to formally apologise to every listener of Stage Door Podcast for the amount of disgusting energy I'm bringing to this deep dive. Oh, well, it is the show itself. Uh, look, there's there's just now too many too many aspects that are, have grossed yep. me out to not to, to not make yep. everybody so in, else enjoy them. In that case, let's continue on with Shall the plot. Shall we? Basically, you know what you know what happens from this yes. part. Yeah. The Phantom is bumping people off to give his protege more power and more roles in the opera, thinking, "Oh, this I'll just gift her all this stuff." Raoul, on the other hand, the Vicomte de Chagny, is like. Oh my god, there is no Phantom of the Opera, Christine. Calm down. I will protect you. No more talk of darkness. All I ask of you, etc. Mm-hmm. They get engaged in secret. The Phantom swears revenge, and no one hears from him for six months after dropping the chandelier on a show. And that's how Act One He then finishes. shows back. Because <laughs> he literally. That's the, end, that's of the end of Act One. He literally went. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> chandelier drop. Chandelier I'm patted with uh, y'all bullshit. Yeah, I'm done. Drop. Hey, nice chandelier you got there. Boom! <laughs> no more. Would be uh, a shame if someone fact. was to uh, tamper with it. <laughs> there is a very fun fact. An ex-girlfriend of mine told me this. She used to work uh, front of house at Phantom West End. And it became a rite of passage for, once the chandelier dropped, for people to come up and start nicking the crystals <gasps> off it when they went out for interval. No way! It got so bad that at some point they just stopped dropping the chandelier. <gasps> oh my gosh, that's so fun. Imagine that, you're just like, I'm just going to sneak onto the stage and steal one of these giant crystals from this beautiful chandelier. Oh, that's just it. You didn't even have to sneak onto the stage because of the positioning oh, of the chandelier. It just yeah. sat at the front of it. So like oh very gosh, edge. Of course, it was just hanging over. Of course. So anyone in like triple A, triple B, triple C would just walk forward and go, yoink, mine now. <gasps> That's naughty. Kind of love, though. But I'm not going to lie. I would do that. Yeah, I was like, I would do that. I would only do it the once, though. I would just do it the once, and then I would probably feel, like, insanely, like, sickly guilty for doing it. Oh, God, yeah. I would become, like, a musical theatre golem and just sit in my room (laughs) touching this crystal going, My precious. 
the phantoms of Cyprus, precious. <laughs> well, we should probably get on to the Act 2. Let's whiz through Act 2 so we can get to some... Whiz through Act 2. Okay, it opens. We see Masquerade. We see the costumes. We hear the splendor. Masquerade. Seven-part harmonies. Woo! Phantom shows back up in a cool moving skull costume saying, oh. hey, guys, here's an opera. Put it on or you're all dead. <laughs> and Christine, I know you're engaged now, but you're still mine. You're going to sing in this opera. The opera's terrible. Mm. Like, it's really fucking mm. bad. Christine tries to exert a modicum of self-control and say, I don't want to do this opera. I want no part in this. I cannot. I will not. And literally in the very next scene after running away, she's in rehearsal for the opera. She's like, I don't want to be in it, but all right, if if you want me in it, I'm going to be in it. (laughs) Well, because let's not forget that Raoul literally uses her as bait because he is so determined to catch the Phantom, even though he doesn't believe the Phantom exists, he yep, is so determined that true. he must use her as a bait. I'm like, mate, you're saying that you love this woman, right? Yet you're willing to have her die so that you can catch something that you don't even believe actually exists. Like, get your priorities straight, <laughs> sir. Yep, it, it's a lot. Raoul hatches a plan to catch the Phantom using Christine as bait. Christine goes off to a graveyard to pray to her father's grave, wishing we to somehow here again plays. We love, mm. we stan, Sierra Boggus, oh, gorgeous. What a lady. Phantom shows back up and is apparently a warlock now, starts <laughs> blowing up the graveyard with Christine and Raoul in it. Can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> Wait, I actually completely forget that that happens. Yeah, he just pulls out a staff <laughs> with fire on it and starts blowing the place up. So either... All I can imagine is, you know those little pop rocks that you used to be able to like throw at the ground and they would pop? I just <laughs> yeah, imagine he's got like, a handful of those just like... Meh, this will show ya. Why is he Skeletor? Who knows? <laughs> so yeah, either he's gone to the trouble of carefully placing pyrotechnics in this graveyard yeah. or he's a warlock. I like to imagine... Made the deal, done the warlock thing. I agree. Thing. Maybe he's done a deal with the devil kind of thing. <laughs> Wouldn't put it past him. Wait, why? Okay, but like, actually, there has to be a reason behind that, right? Like, there has to be some form of reasoning. I don't think there is. I think it's more the spectacle of it. Yeah, I love Phantom to death, but it makes no, no. sense. Yeah. It has, like, I'm just imagining... Oh god, Christine's gonna be here soon. Better lay down this dynamite. <laughs> and maybe the boyfriend's there too? Who knows? What happens if they didn't turn up, Eric? I kind of thought that it was like gunshots or something, but now that you've said that, I'm like, no, it is just like him being like, haha, fireball, haha, fireball. It's a lot of third level slots. I know. And I guess after that kind of debacle, so yeah. Raul, Raul kind of asks, uh, tries to trick the Phantom, obviously. The, fan- the Phantom's opera happens, yeah. they try to catch the Phantom. He comes out with a friggin' bag on his head pretending to be <laughs> the right. opera's tenor. It's like, oh, wonder who that idiot He's is. He's like, it's me! <laughs> and, and Christine is just casually there like, guys, guys, guys. Yeah, Christine just rolls guys. with it for half the song before realising <laughs> what's going on. No, I feel like, right, in the most recent, in like the um, the show must go on, Sierra Bogus uh, anniversary show, from like, it's like, to me, it has about like, you know, maybe like, 30 to 40 seconds of her being like ah yes my moment the point of no return and then she realizes and she spends the whole the whole rest of the song being like Raul Raul please (laughs) Raul he's right there Raul this is not the tenor she somehow managed to see through that 
paper thin pantomime premise the phantom put together <laughs> but it's also like his voice you'd be able like you would if you had been practicing with someone and then you heard yeah. somebody else sing like i find that i'm really like attuned to that it's like oh no that was like i remember once seeing wicked many many moons ago like on its first tour here and i went to see a show and um glinda started uh, you know, very open, let us be glad, you know, all of that. And I started singing and I went, that's not Lucy Durack. Don't know Correct. who it is, but it's not her. Come on, Christine, get it together. She would know. And I feel like he was way, like, he was way more handsy than the original tenor would have been. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, after that, then Phantom, everyone's like, oh, God, he's got a bad face. Uh, Phantom's dragging Christine off to the lair. Then we have the big mashup of a bit of music of the night, a bit of past the point of no return, a little yeah. bit of all I ask of mm. you. It's it's very fun. It's it's just called the lair scene in most of the libretto. Everyone is eventually Raoul is about to be killed by the Phantom. Yes, casual hanging. Choose him, he dies. Choose me, he lives. So deal with that. Christine's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna smooch you now to shock you. Just do a little 180. My favourite thing, though, is throughout that whole scene, right? It's quite a long scene, and it's quite a long song as well. Yep. Raoul's just casually hanging. <laughs> Raoul's in a goddamn noose. He's like, Christine, whatever you choose, just be quick. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm straggling. Yeah, it's fine. And yet still somehow getting a really good sound. Projection's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, the counter melodies in this section are honestly some of my favourites mm. in the show. Because Phantom is doing uh, past the point of no return, the final threshold. While Raoul underneath is doing say you love him and my life is over. It's really, really nice composition. So fucking credit to Lloyd Webber. Yeah. Credit to Raoul for singing whilst being hung by his neck. Very true. I mean, herein lies another point that I wrote in our little Google Doc. The Phantom is Lloyd Webber. There is no getting around that, I don't think. The way he's written the role as the tragically misunderstood composer, at this point in his life, he's got his Christine, so he's writing his experience, I think. That's so interesting. As a composer myself, that awful self-doubt is always influencing what I write, so one can only imagine how he's been doing this whole time coming off yeah. Joseph and every other big-scale musical. How's his imposter syndrome doing? What's his mask? True. And then Phantom that, did yeah. him so well anyway, so he's skyrocketed since then. And, I mean, they've, he's literally just got the new Cinderella out, which is very exciting. I'm very excited to see that one day. He does, he does. I haven't heard anything from that yet. Have we heard anything? Um, You can listen to, I think, I believe, Bad Cinderella and I Have a Heart are currently out on iTunes. Mm. Um, they've just started previews. When this comes out, previews would have started about a week ago. And it looks to be going well. It looks interesting. All right, um, cool. I'll, I'll have to give it a wee listen. We will, we will. Yeah, but I would like to see... It definitely feels like the kind of show... I mean, obviously, with only having two songs out, it's always kind of hard to tell. It feels a little bit currently like I would want to see it to understand because mm. it is a, a different take on the Cinderella story. I do know it's quite different yeah. because they wanted to make something. They, Andrew Lloyd Webber had always wanted to write a Cinderella, but it had been done so much. And he didn't know how to make it different. 
Um, so it is quite different. So I feel like I'd want to understand the story. Speaking of story, the final few notes of The Phantom of the Opera. Yes. All that really happens is everyone in the opera finally is like, okay, this is fucked. There's a dude living under our house that is killing our friends. We're going to hunt him down. Uh, Raoul, Christine, Phantom hear this. Phantom's like, oh, you two get out of here. You clearly love him enough to like be with me to save him. Yeah. Okay, get out of here. Forget everything you've seen. The Phantom sits in his chair, puts a cape over him. Uh, Meg Giri, of all people, runs in, dressed in, like, Eponine best. (laughs) Yeah. Throws the sheeta off the chair, and all that's left is the Phantom's mask, which she takes, she kneels, points it so perfectly angled into the light that it's written into the script. Show ends. I wonder why Meg runs in. It's not because she's obsessed or anything. (sighs) I mean, it makes no sense, given... That at that point, Love Never Dies didn't exist. That's true. There was literally no context for her to be there dressed like she'd just come off singing on my own. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It would have been. It would have made sense if it was yeah. like... Oh, I don't even know if it would make sense if it was Christine or anyone. Really. I kind of get it. I don't think it needed to be done. It could have it been fucking Joe Blow, <laughs> the guy who sweeps the stage. It would have had the same effect. I feel like the only person to me... That makes sense is Madame Madame Giri because she has known him mm. since she was a child. But I reckon Meg also was very close with him, which is how he was introduced to Christine. Mm. I think. All right, I'm I'm interested in this theory because don't forget, like Madame Giri kind of raised Eric, not raised him, but like uh, supported him. She was she was his patron and protected him. She protected him. As well. Very true. She knew what he was doing to Christine and still she protected him. Um, I feel like Meg would have, like, you know, followed her mother around, as you do when you're a child, found this strange, probably teenage boy, and she was like, aha, teenage boy, and probably became attached. Yeah, teenage boy with half a face. Yeah, but she probably came, became attached to him because he was this musical genius. I mean, that is fair. That is fair. Well, I guess on that note, that wraps up our Phantom of the Opera deep dive for now. Amazing. But we're going to actually do a bit of a game. I think Tori's got a game for us. And then we'll do a little yes. bit of a chat of Love Never Dies and call it a day. Yeah, I, I think we can dedicate a little less time to Love Never Dies because honestly, <laughs> like... Nobody hate me, but it's so bad. We'll just talk a little bit about it and then... Yeah. Oh, I, don't, I thought you meant Love Never Dies. Like, we know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the game, let's find yeah. out. Oh, yeah. Both. They both suck. Um, we're going to be playing the same terrible game as last time uh, that I like to call... Guess the song in 10 seconds. Uh, Such an inventive title. <laughs> no. And this time we're doing it for Love Never Dies, which we have all discovered none of us know particularly well. Yep. Yeah, um, like, I... I Ugh, I have listened to it enough to do a basic critical review. I've watched it a couple of times, yeah. but I don't have the same obsessive knowledge of it yeah. that I, I think do I've, for Phantom. I think I've listened to it fully once, and I've seen it, I think, once, which was the Melbourne um, recording for uh, The Show Must Go On. That is also my knowledge of Love Never Dies. It's also, I believe, the only full recording to exist. Mm. Exactly. So this will be interesting, to say the least. Eliza, 
you will be first. So, and I'll be giving you 10 seconds. Please do not buzz in until the 10 seconds has completed. Um, we'll be doing two rounds each and then a buzz around as this. per usual. So here we go. Mother, did you see? Was it all all right? Mama, was he watching? Was he keeping out our sight? I was frightened half to death and I had to catch my breath. I remember the song. <laughs> Do I remember the title? This one is easy, is easy. in terms of the title. <gasps> Mother. <laughs> oh, is it really? Keep going. <laughs> It's definitely not Mother Knows Best because that's definitely a Disney song. <laughs> yeah. We'll give we'll give we'll give Eliza another second. It does have the word mother oh, in it. Oh, well that's good. Go me. I'm just gonna Mother did you see? Oh, mother did you see? <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. I'm gonna give you one, Eliza, because I feel like you deserve it. You just finished. You just finished your first semester at the con, and I'm very proud of you. So you, that's your gift from me. Yes, <laughs> correct. Right. I'm pretty sure I clipped my mic with how angry I got with that. It's called Mother. Did you see? All right. Yes. That is one point, Gareth. All right. All right, time to embarrass myself. I'm not afraid of him. Oh, I actually know this one. This is Devil Take Behind mode. Did I not tell you to wait until after the clip was done to answer the question, Gareth? Did I not tell you that I know four songs and that was one of them and I was very excited? That is Devil Take the Hindmost. What is that title? Devil Take the Hindmost. Uh, That is basically the Phantom and Raoul making a wager over Christine, Uh, again treating her like a warm prop and saying, hey, whoever loses is fucked and the devil can take it. But also, who calls a song Devil Take the Hindmost? Uh, The fact that it's the most repeated phrase in the song. (laughs) Then change the phrase. It's a a stupid phrase. (laughs) You're a stupid phrase. I am, I know. I'm I'm defending Love Never Dies. I need to stop. (laughs) Hey, if I just got one, I'm happy. I'm a happy chap. This is one all. Okay. Um, oh, this is hard because I don't I don't know which one to do for the tiebreaker. I want it the tiebreaker one. I want it to be the one, but I, you're both most likely to know. Okay. So let's go with. Think of where. The sh- love never dies takes place. <gasps> is this Coney Island? Well, it's in Manhattan. Oh, it should take. It takes. No, no, no. Like, no, 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 no. You were right. Oh, Coney Island. You were right. Oh, I was right. But it's there's more to it. There's more to it. Coney Island. Coney Island. Coney Island. Um. <laughs> See. What's that dance move that you told me is really hard to get right? Coney Island Waltz. <laughs> I'm not going to give it to you because I gave you the full answer, but it is Coney Island Oh my Island God, Waltz. I love that. Yeah, no, don't give it to me. That is totally fair. But I, I'm, I'm happy with that. <laughs> Thanks for all the hints, Tori. At I least just wanted I to see if end. I could urge you towards the right It's like charades. This is like, what do you call it? Articulate. I love it. I'm going to go with one that's like starred on Apple Music, which I'm going to assume means that it's like a popular. Okay. I mean, more than likely. 
That is Till I Hear You Sing. Correct! Round of applause. It's the first song in the show and it's all downhill (laughs) from there. All right. Now, this is a tiebreaker. Oh, because we're totally on a tie. So you've got to buzz in with your name. Now, this is the one that I think you're both most likely uh, to get. Um, Do Do we have to wait till after it plays to buzz in? Yes. Okay. Wait until I finish and I will give you a countdown. So that it's fair. Okay. And Kurt. Eliza. Three, two, one, go. Oh, Eliza. Gareth. (laughs) Eliza, I think you got in first. What is it? Yeah, before the countdown. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize there was a countdown. I'm sorry, guys. No, 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 no. You, you, you've made your bed now, Eliza. Let's see if you can sleep in it with this song title. Okay, is it Love Never Dies? It is! Oh, but I still didn't win. <laughs> I only got two points. But don't we tied? You're now tied. We're tied. So we're going to do another tiebreaker. <gasps> okay. So it wasn't, so it wasn't really... really a tiebreaker. Well, no. I Honestly, I, didn't, I really didn't know who was going to get this first. So, all right. Three, two, one. Gareth. Gareth. I could be entirely wrong. Is that Bathing Beauties on the Beach? Oh, my heart, it breaks. <gasps> it's not. Is it not? Yeah, I thought so. No, it's not. But it might be part of it because it is the entracte. You! <laughs> you did it again! Which you did was it again. misleading because next to the entracte, it does say Love Never Dies. So I thought it was going to be Love Never Dies again. So I was trying to, like, stuff you up, and I stuffed you up anyway because it clearly must go into Love Never Dies. Hey, Gareth, at least we tied, you know, and... and You tied. And I really (laughs) I tried to give you another chance. You know what? I'm happy to to say I'm not intimately familiar with the score of the show. (laughs) Me too. This is not either of our strong suits, but hey, look, we got some right. I might have had too much help. To help me. It's fine. We're, we're here. here. The game happened. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to actually yep. move into Love Never Dies. Now, before we move on to it, this is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, of course. And let's do another storyline recap for those listening. This is just a little one so that we don't have to go through the whole story. Um, the musical takes place 10 years after the first musical where the Phantom invites Christine to New York to sing at the opera. But ultimately lures her, her husband, Raoul, and her child, Gustav, to his amusement park, Wonderland, Coney Island, to try and win Christine's love again. The show itself did not receive great reviews when it opened and it went through substantial rewrites before it launched nine months later. This version, the new version, had got a lot better reviews but it didn't really perform at the box office. That's why it's not as big as obviously The Phantom of the Opera. What does come as a surprise is that the Melbourne production in Australia had a much better run with a positive reception of the piece. So that's a little bit about Love Never Dies. And as we know, most of us have seen it pretty much. The Melbourne production. Yeah, the Melbourne production from 
the stage. From, um, the show must go on. The show must go on, yeah. That has been universally decided as the version of Love Never Dies. Everyone likes to pretend the West End didn't exist. Like, the first director, I believe, was taken off the project after three previews, and then the yes. entire show was reworked with a new director after that. It was then incredibly poorly reviewed. Like, no one enjoyed it. Yeah. I think half of that comes from the fact that the story that is being told is not one of uh, Gaston LaRue's creation. Those aren't the same mm. characters, essentially. These are characters from a 1997 novel based on the 1986 musical. Okay, so I was going to say that this would make, that Love Never Dies would actually make it kind of a decent book if it was not connected to Phantom. Yeah, well, therein, therein lies the issue, because the novel is called The Phantom of Manhattan. It was written in 1997 mm. and is essentially published fan fiction mm. of the characters from The Phantom of the Opera. That makes a lot of sense, because I actually was looking up a news article before, and Andrew Lloyd Webber said, I don't regard this as a sequel, it's a standalone piece. And then he later goes, clearly Which it is a sequel, <laughs> but I really do not believe that you have to see, have to have seen Phantom of the Opera to understand Love Never Dies. But I don't know if I take See, it. I disagree. Yeah. Yeah, I vehemently disagree. It is, it is a sequel. Like, you could have made it its own standalone piece, and I think it could have been great as a standalone piece. But it feels like all of the characters have just gone backwards and have started, like, a- completely again. Except some of them have been so horribly mm. mutilated for one reason yeah. or another. I think potentially or I think potentially author bias yeah. is yes. the problem. They are all like Like, for example, the Phantom has not changed, he has learned nothing, he's still all powerful, all controlling, still views Christine as a prize to be won. As does Raoul. Raoul has been horribly mm. character assassinated, can I say? Mm. I, I mentioned this a little bit in the first deep dive. He's now been reduced to this alcoholic gambling yeah. addict who is using Christine's talent to pay off his debts. Which, oh, it's awful. And I I see the issues of control again coming in and Christine being uh, pulled this way or the other because it is then revealed in all of the marvellous plot-spinning glory that Gustav, the child of Christine... Spoiler! Is act- <laughs> yep, spoiler. Spoiler, I yeah. guess is actually the Phantom's son? Yes. That makes me so mad. Like, she would it not... It makes no sense. She would not have gone back. This is a man who traumatised you, kidnapped you, murdered a lot of friends and colleagues of yours, and you still think, you know what, I'm going to spend one night of passion with him, like, roughly before I married, and then go and marry someone else. Ugh, it makes no sense. I love the drama of it. Oh, yeah, we love the drama. We love the drama. Are you kidding? When it's revealed and you're like, oh, no way. And of course, of course, Raoul doesn't get along with his child the whole time. Of course, it's it's the Phantom's child. Okay, as soon as that child walked on stage in that production, I went, oh, yeah, Phantom's kid, obviously. <laughs> I was like, don't know when it happened, but it's the Phantom's kid. Because what other explanation for yeah. there is like... I would have much preferred if Christine had ended up with Meg. And there's another interesting character Mm. in this. Meg Giri has 
uh, joined up with the Phantom, essentially, as he's known in this production, Mr. Y, the mysterious benefactor of Phantasma Ooh. in Coney Island, which is essentially a freak show where he was born and raised. So good work continuing mm. that cycle of abuse, Eric. But Meg is now, like, the centrepiece. She is the star. She is the singer. Until Christine comes back. Until Christine shows up again, and then we have this marvellous little parallel situation. Yeah, I think watching this show, really, I found... This is controversial, but I actually really enjoyed watching it, the Melbourne production, because I thought it was quite the- spectacular. Like... I really enjoyed, yeah. especially that scene where the Phantom takes Gustav um, into like basically the yeah the mirror scene. I find that is quite yeah. spectacular. They, there yeah. are really amazing moments, yeah. but then you're like confused at the same time. You're like, do I really love this or like do I like don't yeah. I? Well, look, this is <laughs> I I agree. Visually, it was beautiful, mm. and like the costuming, the set. I think if you could if you could look at the story based around the set and what you can see rather than the actual story itself and the music i would have loved it so much more but then you're sitting there going wait when did raul turn into this person he was kind of decent in phantom and didn't phantom let them go because he knew she didn't like what like i was like i feel like everyone's like taken like 10 steps back and their characters have taken a massive u-turn i was like christine would not have gone back and had a one night stand with phantom like she would not have done that exactly and you know spoilers again this is just further proof that no one is writing christine die as christine die she's being written as a prop to further the interests and emotional growth of these two men and again spoilers for the end of the show she is ultimately shot dead during a confrontation between the Phantom and Raoul. And then she lies there singing Love Never Dies. Saying, I love you, Phantom. And then she dies. That's it. It's such a... And then the kid goes with Phantom. And that's... that's Yes. Yeah, it's such a terrible ending. But like, doesn't like Raoul give Gustav to the Phantom? Is like kind of like a you'd be a better father. And I'm like, well... I don't know if that'd be true. I honestly think this child would be better off with Madame Jury because you're both pretty bad people at th- this point. I think the child would be better off just going off to a boarding school or something. Give him the Hogwarts treatment at this Let point. Let him stay with the circus. Let him just like have like a fantastic little... Life at the circus. Hey, you might have magical powers because uh, the the Phantom has mas- magical powers. <laughs> so, um, oh yeah, he's the product of the Warlock Pact. Maybe actually, he goes to Hogwarts later in life. <laughs> and that boy grew up to be Albus Dumbledore. Oh, speaking of time period, like that's another thing that irks me about the show. Phantom of the Opera, eighteen eighty-seven. Mm. Love never dies. 1901. Andrew Lloyd Webber has stated that it sets it's set ten years after Phantom. Yes. It's clearly not. That is roughly twenty six years or something. Wow, Phantom. I'm not Phantom. Christine looks good for her age. Damn. It's a temporally impossible time period. They're like, it's fine. We're just going to change the time period completely so that we can have the circus that came in with the 19th century. Um, and then we're just, we're just going to change fine. it up here. <laughs> That's crazy. Ugh. And it's so interesting, the setting of Coney Island. Mm. Like, why are... 
why a yeah. circus? Why Coney Island? Like, Phantom, I understand that he had this backstory. Yeah, that's probably the entire reason. Just the Phantom's backstory of being in a travelling circus when he was young and mm. being part of a freak show. Well, he's just he's just a very rich yeah. um, businessman who's made some obviously great decisions <laughs> with his locations. Yeah, the, fa- the Phantom invested in Regency GameStop. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. And I think that actually having it set in a completely different location was kind of good. And I liked the circus element. I think I really like... Because obviously the first bit, it's like opera. You don't want to copy the exact location, the exact everything, because it's not as interesting. So bringing in this new element of like circus and um, theme park and amusement, mm. it's kind of it kind of adds like a really nice life to the piece. And I think that that it acts as another character, like the like the chandelier does in the first one. It acts as a character. Yeah, I think therein lies what Love Never Dies was mm. trying to do with its set was create its own identity, set itself so far apart from Phantom that it could not be compared and would be based solely on its own merits. Like Lloyd Webber said, he wanted people to be able to see Love Never Dies without having seen Phantom. But therein lies the problem. You're so intrinsically tied to it. So the the Mm. set was beautiful. The design was beautiful. Melbourne's direction, Simon Mm. Phillips, is brilliant. I will be saying that till the day I die. The man's a genius. Amazing. But... Like, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, unfortunately. If the libretto looked as good as the set, they would have been fine. Well, that was really interesting having a chat today about Phantom and Love Never Dies. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode and enjoyed everything we got to chat about today. I would just like to say thank you for bringing me on. Thank you for being here. And I'm so thrilled that I'm going to be joining you on more of these deep dives. It's a lovely little flex of the old musical theatre brain and it's nice to be doing it with such wonderful people it's great to have a good argument over characters thank you gareth for joining us once again i know you've just thanked us but we'll thank you right back (laughs) but yes thank you so so much for listening as per usual if you could please leave us a rate and review on apple podcasts that helps us out the most we will also be doing a poll over on our instagram stories for our next deep dive so you guys are going to be helping us pick what we talk about next so if you head over there right now the poll is already up on our stories we'll have about six options for you to choose from and then we'll have a little bit of like a final showdown but anyway you guys until next time stay happy healthy and safe and we will see you then bye bye Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theatre community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theatre professionals, search the RISE Theatre Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheatre.org. That's theatre with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.